Thank you, Andrew. It's encouraging to hear a gospel-centered children's sermon, and we don't just bring the kids down and say, all right, kids, remember, it's Lent, right? You got to try extra hard during this time of year, and God will bless you, and God will love you if you just try really, really hard, and you be a good person. No. We tell them from the time they're able to walk, from the time they're able to understand our words, I love you, but you're a sinner, and you need a savior, just like the big people do. And we preach gospel-centered messages to the children, and then we preach gospel-centered messages to the adults. So hopefully there will be some overlap between Andrew's great children's message and the big people message that God has given me to share with you. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. It'll be in verses 5 through 10. That's on, if you have the uh, Pew Bible, that's on page 1021. I'm going to go over here because this is a little wobbly over here, so... All right. Well, I love studying language and understanding about human languages, uh, study of linguistics. If I could go back and do it all over again, if I could go back to my freshman year of college, I don't even know if my college had a linguistics major, but I would have went to a different college so I could study linguistics because it's fascinating to me. Uh, It's fascinating to look at cultures and languages and how people and places are shaped by words and ideas. It's fascinating to see the overlaps between uh, different ideas, different sayings in different cultures and how those sayings exist in other cultures, idioms that are used maybe in English and then uh, in other places as well. especially saw this as I was a language student in China for so many years. And I would always be amazed when I would learn a new idiom, and China is, Chinese is full of idioms, many idiomatic sayings and when I would learn something and I'm like we say the same thing in English and it just shows that shared human experience it shows that no matter where you're from no matter kind of what your background is culturally and linguistically we all share the same human experience we all share similar struggles and we express those things in our language and one of the sayings that is pretty familiar to most of us is If you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk, right? We've all heard that. Or practice what you preach. If you're going to say one thing, you need to do that thing and not do another thing. You need to live out what you claim to believe. The opposite of that is hypocrisy, right? It's not doing what you say you're going to do. There's an idiom in Chinese about exposing the truth or tearing off the false mask, right? There's this idea of hypocrisy, of of wearing a mask, of of trying to be someone who you're not, or you say one thing and you do the other, and you have this mask on. What does this have to do with 1 John? How is John trying to address this idea of walking the talk in his letter? Remember the situation that he's writing to address Uh, He's writing to a church where some people have gone out from inside of that church and have 
started believing and teaching some false things about who Jesus is, things about Jesus' incarnation, uh, things about Jesus' atonement, his death on the cross. And they're trying to, to pull other people out of that fellowship. They're trying to pull believers away from that into their circles. So that is what John is addressing. If you're taking notes, kind of a main idea here this morning is that walking in the darkness and living a lie is not an option for those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Walking in the darkness and living a lie is not an option for those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And John's charge to believers is going to be to walk the talk. To do what, you, what is consistent with what you say you believe. So let's dive into our passage and let's see what God has to say to us this morning through his word. 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this reminder of who you are and of who we are called to be as your followers. God, we ask that you would show us this morning what it means as followers of Jesus Christ to walk the talk, to practice what we preach, to live lives that are consistent with our confession, that we would love, that we would serve others in a consistent way with how you have called us to, that that would flow out of an overflow of our love for you, of our service of you. God, we pray that as a church, that you would teach us, teach us together how to walk this walk, how to live lives that are pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to remind you about the Bible Project outline. If you were not here last week, these are available on the back table and in the lobby. Uh, this is just a helpful outline to kind of follow along with some things that are, we're going to be seeing in First John. And then on the back side of that, there are also some themes that we will be covering as we go throughout the book. Also, to, uh, so you can follow along, and if you want to read ahead for the following week and know what the passages are going to be. Uh, we're actually just following the ESV divisions that are broken up there in the italicized sections. So there's 13 different sections in 1 John that the ESV is broken up into, and those are the divisions that we're going to be following. Um, it's not always doesn't always work out perfectly with how the ideas always flow, but it, it worked out with the amount of weeks that we had, and it was just kind of the easiest outline to follow. So that's what we're doing. Um, all right. Well, John starts out here in verse 5. This is the message. 
This is the message. And he's referring back to what he had been talking about in verses 1 through 4. The message is the truth about who Jesus is. And he showed us in verses 1 through 4, who is Jesus? Well, he's from the beginning. He's the eternal life. He's the son of God. So he lays that out, who Jesus is. And then he talks about their eyewitness account, how they heard from him, how they saw him, how they touched him. And he reiterates that here. The message we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you. So it is a message that they were eyewitnesses of. They heard it from Jesus himself, they proclaimed it, and they're proclaiming, he's proclaiming it again now to them. What is the message? John says the message that he is proclaiming to them is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So this is the first major contrast that John is going to introduce us to in his book. It's the contrast of light and darkness. This foundational truth of who God is, God's beauty, God's glory, God's truth, they are all related to the fact that God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. It means that God is perfect. There's no rebellion. There's no sin. There's no wickedness. There is only perfection. God is holy and pure and radiant and majestic. From Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. All the way to Revelation chapter 21, the second to last chapter in the entire Bible. Where it says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. So the Father and the Son are the light that lights up the entire city because God is light. There's no need for artificial light. There's no need for sun or moon that God had to create in the beginning because it wasn't there. God himself is light. And we see that theme over and over throughout Scripture. So it's just interesting to think of Scripture starting with light and ending with this idea of light, that God is the light and all throughout 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight until Jesus appears. And then Paul says this about Jesus. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the eternal Son of God, who was in the beginning with God. So Paul is correct in the sense that he dwells in unapproachable light and we cannot see him. There's an element of God's holiness, God being set apart, God being light. We can't even approach him. But that is why the incarnation is so important. The Son of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us was the only way for the darkness of evil and sin to be overcome. And he overcame it because he is the light. And we talked last week about how the first four verses of 1 John were kind of a mirror of John chapter 1, the beginning of that. And there's also some parallel themes here. In John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, John says, in him, Jesus, was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in verse 9 through 13, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Light and life and new life are found in Christ alone. And these false teachers that John is is confronting believed in an early form of Gnosticism. It's a teaching, it was something that was really popular in the second century. We don't know exactly what they believed here in John's day, but it's kind of an early form of this idea of Gnosticism, where they believed in this special knowledge. They believed that they were able to tap into some knowledge, some ideas about who God was that other people didn't have access to. And this is, these themes here of light and darkness are very prominent in Gnostic teachings. And they also talk of, there's a lot of dualism, a lot of duality, like the spirit is good and the body and the flesh is bad. A lot of stark contrasts. So John, and we see this in John's gospel as well, John is actually kind of using their language, using the things that they're trying to, to say they have special access to and special knowledge of. He's using those things to kind of come at them and show them how they're wrong and show them who God really is. And one of the things that with the, the spirit being good and the flesh being bad, one of the things that the Gnostics, the early Gnostics, denied was that Jesus came in the flesh. We're going to see this later on in First John. But this idea of, of denying Jesus' incarnation, that was a big deal. That was a game changer because they were getting away from who Jesus really was, that he was man, that he came in, to die in our place as a substitute for our sin. So if you deny the incarnation, you, you lose Jesus, right? You don't get the Son of Man who came to die in our place. And Gnosticism was kind of like this secret club. Uh, and this kind of this was brought home to me on Friday night. Uh, we watched the movie Ralph Breaks the Internet as a family. I don't know if anyone has seen it yet. I'm not going to ruin it for you. But we started the movie and like after like 30 seconds, I was like, wait a minute, I, there's, a, there's a prequel, Ralph... Uh, Wreck-It Ralph, and I'm like, I don't know anything about this movie. Like, the kids had to tell me what Wreck-It Ralph was about and who this character is and what's going on. So I, ha- I had some understanding of, of what was going on. But then the movie starts, and again, don't worry, I'm not going to ruin it, but it's all about the internet and all of these different ways that we're online and different companies and all these. It's just, it's, it's really well done. Um, and just tons of pop culture references, things that are, you know, trendy right now. And, and Lindsay said, I might have been after the movie, she said, can you imagine watching that movie 20 years ago? Like, it would have made no sense, right? Because we wouldn't have known half those things. But, or can you imagine being someone, you know, imagine being maybe like a missionary who's been in a jungle somewhere for like the last 30 years, and you come back to America, and you watch that movie, you would just be like, what? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. 
there's tons of inside information, right? There's tons of inside, inside jokes and inside things that if you're not a part of that culture, if you don't know those things, you're not going to get the movie. And there's, there's a lot of movies that are like that. Christianity is not like Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's not a secret club. It's not a secret society. It's not something we have to have inside information about so that we can understand it and believe it. There's no code words. There's no secret handshakes. There's no secret vows that we need. Jesus spoke plain words to plain people like us. John 8, 12, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John walked with Jesus. He knew what it meant to have the light of life. What it meant to walk in the light and not in the darkness as his master had taught him. So he is going to encourage these true believers. Remember his purpose for writing. 1 John 5 verse 13. It's on the back of the card here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. John was writing to give them assurance that what they have heard and what they believe about Jesus is true. And in the following statements, he's going to address the teachings of the false teachers without directly addressing the false teachers. He's going to do it by playing three lies and two truths. It was the early church's version of the icebreaker game, Two Truths and a Lie. Three lies and two truths. If we say, he's going to say three times, if we say, verses 6, 8, and 10, these are the three lies. And then verses 7 and 9, he's going to give the two truths. So first he starts with a a negative statement, and then he gives a positive statement. So we're going to look at verses 6 and 7 together. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 together, or 6 and 7 together, 8 and 9 together. And then verse 10 is the negative statement, and the positive statement is actually follows it in chapter 2. But we're not going to go, that, go there today. We'll look at that next week. The first statement is in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in, the, in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John comes back to this idea of fellowship, the word koinonia. And we were introduced to it last week, but we didn't really discuss it. I was kind of waiting to talk about it this week because he directly kind of talks about it in these verses here. Fellowship is this idea of sharing or participation. As Christians, we fellowship with God, we share in, with Christ in Christ's life and suffering, and we also share with one another. We share with, our, with one another in our lives, with one another's lives, and with our, one another's suffering. So we are uniquely, we have this unique connection to one another as the body of Christ. Think about Paul's imagery in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We are all connected to one another as different parts of the body and we all need 
one another. We depend on one another, and we share with one another. We share our time with one another. We share our talents with one another, and it's all for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and for the sake of the gospel witness to the watching world. And this is fundamentally a spiritual thing. It's not just true fellowship because we have some things in common. It's not just, well, we all live in Oshkosh and we believe in Jesus, so we're just going to get together and that's fellowship. It is a work of God's grace, a work of God's Holy Spirit, to create a people that reflect the reality of what, what God has done to bring rebellious sinners into fellowship with him himself, which is totally a work of grace. And us sitting here is a picture of that. It's a picture of what God has done to not only rescue each of us individually to himself by his grace, but to bring us together in fellowship with one another. We talked about this before. We may, we may have a lot of things in common in general, but we are, we're not just like hanging out because we got nobody else to hang out with, right? We all have other, I mean, you probably have people you'd rather hang out with than me. And, you know, that's okay. But God has brought us together by his grace as his people to fellowship with one another, to do life together. And that's what it means to be the body of Christ. It is a supernatural work of God. And that's what we're desiring to be here at Living Stone. We're desiring to be a fellowship that is a supernatural work of God's grace that has not only saved us as individuals to himself, but has brought us together as his people to fellowship with one another. So Christian, if you say that you have fellowship with God, John starts here in verse 6, and if you walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. John is, is confronting the false teachers here. He's saying, that, he's saying to the Christians that those who have gone out from among you are walking in darkness while saying that they still have fellowship with God. So he's saying, Christians, don't do this. This is what the false teachers are doing. If we say we have fellowship with God, we cannot walk in darkness. And that's what they are doing. And that's where he introduces then the second major contrast of this letter, truth and lie. And we're going to see that over and over. So we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So light and truth and darkness and lies. The darkness and lies is the negative. The light and truth is the positive. John contrasts walking in light then with walking in darkness. Walking in the light means at least two things here for John. First is that we have fellowship with one another, which we've been talking about. And therefore we have fellowship with God. And those two things must be inseparable. We cannot have fellowship with God and not have fellowship with one another. You can't say, well, I just, you know, I just, it's just me and God, right? Going, I'm going to go do church in my deer stand, right? You, you can't have fellowship, true fellowship with God if you don't have fellowship with one another. But on the other hand, if we're just here hanging out and God's not in it, then this isn't true fellowship either. We can't have true fellowship with one another if God's not in it. So those things both go hand in hand. So we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another, and 
If we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And this is really good news for us, right? We have forgiveness of our sins, so now we're perfect. No more struggles in the Christian life. Let's go out and tell all of our friends and neighbors how much better we are than them and how much closer we are to God because Jesus' blood has washed away all of our sins. This must have been the message of those who had left the fellowship and who were stirring up trouble. I'm good now, right? I don't have any sin. God is light. I'm with God. All my sin is gone. Just picture it. Hey, Gaius. Hey, Demetrius. Those are a couple of the guys in 3 John. What are you guys doing hanging around those Christians? Don't you know that they're still believing in that old man, what that old man John is teaching them? Still telling them that Jesus has forgiven their sins, but they still are sinners? Come over here to our side where you can be freed from that oppressive way of thinking, that way of thinking that is keeping you down. To which anyone who has walked with Jesus for any amount of time would say, No, I am free. I am forgiven. But I have not been perfected yet. I sin daily. And I need the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ Daily, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I must daily put to death the deeds of the body so that I may live, Romans 8, 13. So we can come clean. We don't need to cover up. John's next statement addresses this false teaching. In verse 8, he says, if we, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Again, this is a negative statement here about deception and truth. It's a lie about our true nature. It's a lie about who we are. It's a denial of original sin. It's a denial of our depravity. It's saying that we don't even have sin in our nature. And the positive statement that John comes back with, one that almost all of us have probably memorized, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's one that we, that we quote frequently for our assurance of pardon. We had it today. And this brings us back to the nature and the character of God. God is faithful and just. One of my favorite statements in the Old Testament about who God is is Psalm 89, 14. It says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God is the king. He will always do what is right and just. James had a great explanation of how God putting our sins on Jesus, God being able to forgive us, is because of his justice. Because his justice was poured out on Christ at the cross, we can have forgiveness. So he will always do what is right and just. And he is loving and faithful. He will always do 
what he says he will do. God will always walk the talk. He cannot not do what he said he will do. And then he says that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here we have the third contrast in these verses. The word here, just, can also be translated as righteous. So we can say that God is righteous and, or is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think they choose the word just because it doesn't sound as repetitive. But the contrast here is between God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. God is righteous. God is just. He is perfect. We are unrighteous. But if we trust Christ, we will be cleansed from our unrighteousness. And in God's eyes, we will become righteous. Not because of anything we have done, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. I think we need to be careful how we read this verse, though. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We can read this in a way that makes God's faithfulness and justice sound conditional upon our confession. You could read this and say, oh, well, I haven't confessed my sins, so God is not faithful and just. And we should read it in a way that makes it sound like, because God is faithful and just, if we confess our sins, he will forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just no matter what. That's who he is. And it is that fact that he is faithful and just that we can know. Remember, John's goal in writing is the assurance of eternal life. We can know that our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. We don't need to add anything to the equation. The equation is not Jesus' blood plus my good works, plus observing Lent, plus having my daily quiet time, plus anything else. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What God requires of us is faith in Jesus Christ and repentance. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. And they're not a work They're not something we do to earn God's favor. They are gifts from the Lord. Faith is a gift, and repentance is a gift. Repentance is something we do continually, daily. But the ability to, to first believe in Jesus when we're in darkness, when we're walking in darkness, to first believe and to first turn and repent and walk with him is not something we do on our own strength. It's not something we can just muster up and say, well, I need to, start, I need to stop walking in the darkness and start walking in the light. I'm just going gonna, gonna to do it. It's not something we can do on our own. They are gifts from the Lord. And these false teachers, again, they want to claim, they want to, claim to be without sin. And John says that this is not an option for the Christian. The world around us wants to deny sin. Or they want to point the finger at others and blame them for what's wrong in the world or what's wrong with their own lives. 
It's a cover-up operation versus a coming clean operation. If you look at the front of your worship guide, which I have here somewhere. There's a quote from J.C. Ryle. I think that sums this up pretty well. He says, The real cause of many people's dislike to the gospel is the holiness of living which it demands. Teach abstract doctrines only, and few will find any fault. Denounce the fashionable sins of the day, and call on men to repent and walk consistently with God, and thousands at once will be offended. The true reason why many profess to be infidels and abuse Christianity is the witness that Christianity bears against their own bad lives. So how does this apply to us in our day? I think it needs to start with us as Christians. We need to come clean. Don't try to cover up your sin. Don't try to make the claim, well, I'm not really that bad, or I haven't really messed up that bad. Walk in the light. Confess your own sin. Confessing here just, it means just simply just to acknowledge it. And not just to God, but to others. That's why we confess our sins corporately every Sunday together. I wonder, do we spend more time talking with our non-Christian friends about how bad the world is, about how bad other people around us are, or do we spend more time talking to them about our own sin, about our own brokenness, about our own need for a Savior and for His grace and forgiveness? How is our own acknowledgement of our own sin impacting our witness in the world? That's basically the same idea that John is going to address with his third, if we say, statement. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. What is John trying to say here? Again, this, I think this sounds kind of weird in English, the way we read it and the way we say it. How can we make God a liar? John has already told us that God is light, that in him is no darkness at all. He's not affected by our sin. He's not affected by the evil in the world. He's not affected by darkness. So how can puny little us, how can we make God a liar? John says a similar thing in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So the meaning is that if we refuse to believe what God has told us about Jesus, or if we claim, as those who had gone out did, that we haven't sinned, which is the same thing as rejecting the gospel, then we make God out to be a liar. We accuse God of not telling the truth by disbelieving what he has told us to be true. And John's sharp contrast here of light and darkness, truth and lies, righteousness and unrighteousness, 
come to a dramatic climax here, and we are confronted with our sin and our need for a Savior. Even in our best moments as Christians, our best moments as followers of Christ, even at our most consistent, we must all deal with the reality of not always walking the talk, not always practicing what we preach. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ offers a solution to our problem. The only solution, the only answer to your sin problem, to my sin problem, is to follow Jesus, the light of the world, who died in our place to satisfy the wrath of God, the justice of God, to forgive your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So brothers and sisters, I implore you, walk in the light. Walk in fellowship with God and with others. Confess your sins to him and to one another. And know with certainty that you have forgiveness of sins and you have eternal life because he is faithful and he is just. Let's pray together. God, we are reminded this morning of our need for a Savior. We are reminded of how easy it is to deceive ourselves, how easy it is to try to cover up our sin, to try to think we're not really that bad. I thank you for this reminder from your word that we really are that bad. But you have provided the solution. You have provided the answer in sending your son to live and to die in our place. You ask us to come to you, to follow you, to walk in the light, to confess our sins, to walk in fellowship with you and with one another. God, may that be a distinguishing mark of Livingstone Church. May that be a distinguishing mark of each one of us here this morning. That we would be people whose lives have been exposed by the light of the gospel. The darkness has been overcome because of Jesus. And though we still walk in this dark, evil, sinful world, we are not overcome by it. There's victory in Jesus. God, may each one of us be assured this morning that we have eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Not because of our own efforts, not because of our own, our own practices and our own rituals and because we do everything we say we do. We confess, God, that we are hypocrites. We don't always walk the talk. But by your grace and your mercy, by the power of your spirit, Lord, may, we, may you fill us, may you equip us to walk that talk, to go out into a world where people need to see Christ and need to know Christ. Lord, use us for your glory. Change us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.